Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. As we start out on our 2022 journey and reminisce about the past year, the goals we accomplished, the foods we ate, and of course, the mistakes that we made, I thought I'd bring you something fun in our History Bites saga, and that is the history of accidental food creations. Sometimes the food you eat is inspired by the mind of a brilliant chef, but often the amazing creation in front of you is the result of a complete mistake and a clumsy cook with butterfingers. So as you try to keep your New Year's resolution, don't try too hard because remember, some of the best accomplishments come from the most unlikely places. Like Saratoga Springs, New York in 1853. There was an amazing African-American chef named George Crum who was cooking for the rich and famous at a place called Moon's Lake House. One day, a wealthy patron came in and ordered fried potatoes, which were thick cut slices of potatoes, lightly fried in a pan, and they were pretty soggy. Legend has it the wealthy person was none other than Cornelius Vanderbilt. Yup, Anderson Cooper's great, 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 whatever. The robber baron who expanded America's railroads and was once the wealthiest man in America. Uh, He also married two of his cousins. That's right, two. Well, old Vandy didn't like his potatoes soggy. He had a lot of cousins to please. So he sent them back. Crumb sliced them thinner and sent out another portion. Vanderbilt was still unhappy and sent them back again. Crumb was so offended at this point that he sliced the potatoes as thin as humanly possible, oversalted them, and fried the crap out of them in the hopes that they would be completely inedible and unusable with a fork. Remember, this is pre-Civil War, and he's a black man playing a potato-based game of chicken with the richest man in America. Vanderbilt poked and prodded the crispy, thin potatoes, and finally picked them up with his hands and took a bite. And guess what? He had Chef Crumb murdered! Just kidding, he loved them! Almost as much as his two cousins that he married. From that moment on, the potato chip had officially been born, though at the time, they were called Saratoga Chips. Potato chips didn't become widespread right away. Again, the Civil War kind of got in the way of anything being marketed for fun. But let's head into the 1920s where a man named Herman Lay, yes, the Lay of Lay's potato chips, started selling bags of potato chips to grocers out of the trunk of his car in the Deep South. Gradually, the chips started getting a real following, but it didn't yet take off as the go-to snack. In 1963, Lay's launched their ad campaign, Bet You Can't Eat Just One, which launched the company into international success. Yep, the same psychology that gets kids to eat broccoli by telling them they're not allowed to eat any broccoli worked on the whole world. So from a rich and whiny Cornelius Vanderbilt to an enterprising African-American chef out for revenge comes one of the best accidental foods that we know and love to this day. Switching gears, let's talk chicken. If you've been paying attention over the past five to 10 years, you've noticed a chicken craze that has taken over the country. And that craze is the spicy, super hot, and extremely tasty cuts of Nashville-style fried hot chicken. And if you've been to Nashville, you're probably familiar with the favorites, places like Hattie B's, Bishop's, Big Shake's Hot Chicken, and others. 
but the original and still arguably the best is Prince's Hot Chicken, and its existence is due to a mistake based on revenge by a scorned lover. It all starts with a man named Thornton Prince. Yep, that's his real name. Prince was a big womanizer in the 1930s. Even though there was a Great Depression going on, this guy loved to party and apparently had no issue getting into trouble with the ladies. I mean, for God's sakes, the guy's name is Thornton Prince. That's the most pimptastic name ever. The only problem is that Prince had a steady girlfriend who wasn't really thrilled with his side action. One night, Prince came home really late. Maybe he stank of perfume or had lipstick on his collar, or she was just suspicious as she should have been because his name is Thornton motherfucking Prince. But whatever it was, his girlfriend was pissed. The next morning, thinking he was going to battle a hangover and an angry lover, Prince surprisingly woke up to the smell of sizzling fried chicken. Little did he know that his girlfriend had a surprise for him. The chicken she was making was doused in the hottest peppers, spices, and hot sauces that she could find. She wanted to burn that mouth that seemed to have a mind of its own. But this is Thornton motherfucking Prince. And when she served Prince the plate, he loved it and even asked for seconds. Prince realized that he was onto something with the chicken and eventually opened Prince's Hot Chicken. The chicken was a huge hit, and even though the place was in a segregated neighborhood, the smell of that chicken brought everyone into the shack. Today, Prince's offers heat levels that include plain, mild, medium, hot, X-hot, and triple X-hot, which is undoubtedly an ode to the original that was meant for a cheating man. Moral of the story, cheat on your spouse and she will give you your next Shark Tank idea. Time for a story break to give you some quick accidental food hits. You'd be surprised as to how many accidental food creations are the result of people mistakenly dropping something into a frying pan or a vat of sauce of some kind. Let's start with the chimichanga and travel not to Mexico, but Arizona, where the fried burrito was first born. The credit for the chimichanga goes to Monica Flynn at her restaurant El Charo Cafe in Tucson in 1922. Legend has it she was cooking some burritos late night for a group of her rambunctious nieces when one of them bumped into her and she dropped the burrito into a frying pan filled with oil. As she was about to yell out a curse in Spanish, something like chinga tu madre, she caught herself mid-word because her young nieces were there and yelled chimichanga instead. Next is the buffalo wing. The buffalo wing actually comes from Buffalo, New York, and is the result of an order gone wrong. In 1964, Teresa Bellissimo, the owner of the now famous Anchor Bar, ordered a case of chicken wings by accident when she meant to get chicken necks. At the time, wings were pretty much considered useless and were typically thrown out or made into soup for poor people. Why chicken necks were still cool and chicken wings were garbage? I have no freaking clue. Who likes necks over wings? Anyways, Bellissimo couldn't get a refund, so she deep-fried the wings, added some hot sauce, and threw an arrangement together with blue cheese and celery. She experimented with the dish on her son and her friends who wanted a late-night drunken meal. They loved them, and the rest is history. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
Okay, now I want to talk to you about one of history's strangest accidental food creators, John Harvey Kellogg. Yes, the Kellogg that makes everything from Cheez-Its and Eggo waffles to Pop-Tarts and Fruit Loops. Around the turn of the 20th century, Kellogg was a major force behind a thing called the Clean Living Movement. This was a health reform movement with moralistic overtones that was anti-alcohol, anti-sex, anti-drugs, anti-tobacco, with a heavy reliance on diet and exercise. Cool. He was also so anti-sex that all his kids were adopted and he never consummated his own marriage. Mrs. Kellogg, you can do better. Anyway, Kellogg created a host of bizarre treatments in pursuit of clean living, like yogurt enemas, electrical stimulation, excessive chewing, and vibrating chairs. In hindsight, I should have started with vibrating chairs and ended on yogurt enemas because hearing the words yogurt enema probably took all of your attention away from anything that followed. Most of these treatments were for digestion, but his biggest obsession was about masturbation, and he firmly believed this affliction could be treated with diet, in particular a very bland diet. Kellogg was a vegetarian and believed spicy foods, oysters, meats, and other digestible aphrodisiacs caused a huge urge to jerk off. Well, he got one thing right. <laughs> Just me? Okay. As a result, one of the foods he fed people who seeked him out for treatment was cooked wheat. Well, one day in 1894, the cooked wheat was left out too long and went stale. Kellogg didn't want to lose money on this huge batch of food, so he tried forcing the stuff through rollers, hoping to make usable sheets of dough. But the dough dried and cracked into big flakes instead. His clients apparently loved it, and he started packaging it and patented the technique a couple years later. These were the first cornflakes. Funny side story, Kellogg once gave a tour of his no-jerking-off sanitarium to C.W. Post of Post Cereal, who then became a patient. After his stay, he literally opened his own sanitarium, started making his own anti-masturbation breakfast cereals, and went on to become Kellogg's top competitor. He also claimed grape nuts could cure appendicitis. Don't know about that, but they definitely make you want to jerk off, am I right, guys? <laughs> Damn it. Anyways, next time you eat your cornflakes, try not to get aroused, because that's literally the point of them. Another couple quick accidental hits for you. Have you ever been to a restaurant and ordered the lava cake? The insanely delicious chocolate cake that spews out molten liquid chocolate when you cut into it? Well, that was a mistake. In 1987, the famous chef Jean-Georges von Gerichten was cooking a chocolate sponge cake and took it out of the oven too early. When he served it to his guests, he was horrified when they cut into it and chocolate oozed out. The patrons were not horrified, however. In fact, they loved it, and from that moment on, the famous cake can be found anywhere from high-end fine dining places to Domino's Pizza. Yes, Domino's has one, and it is divine. The Slurpee was also an accident. 7-Eleven's most famous drink got its start back in 1958 and can partially thank Dairy Queen for the discovery. A man named Omar Knedlik was a Dairy Queen franchise owner and one night he placed his sodas in a freezer to keep them cold. He didn't have a soda fountain, which would typically do the job, but Knedlik forgot about the sodas and accidentally froze them. He decided to taste the semi-frozen drinks and loved them so much, he began selling them at his store. Knedlik then built a machine that was partially made from a car's air conditioning unit to dispense the sodas, which immediately became a huge hit. He then sold the technology to 7-Eleven. Cautionary tale, Knedlik developed diabetes because of overconsumption. Moral of the story, don't get high on your own supply. One of my favorite accidental creations is the gin and tonic. 
Winston Churchill once said, The gin and tonic drink has saved more Englishmen's lives than all the doctors in the empire. I'm awful at accents. When the Brits got into the colonization business, particularly in India, they had a lot of soldiers dying of malaria and needed quinine. Quinine comes from the bark of a tree in South America and is a very effective anti-malaria treatment. Now, quinine on its own tastes very bitter, and no one really liked it. Shocker, it's the bark of a freaking tree. So in the 19th century in India, soldiers and British officers started mixing it with soda water and sugar to mask the flavor, which wound up being the precursor to tonic water. It was good, but not great. So soldiers started mixing in their ration of gin so they could get their medicine and a buzz to quickly help forget how awful it tasted. And that's how we got the gin and tonic. Oh. And the lime warded off scurvy. Two birds, one stone. The ice cream cone can thank the popularity of the 1904 World's Fair in St. Louis for its discovery. The cone is the result of a lucky encounter between two vendors. One, an American guy who was selling ice cream out of a cup, and another, a Syrian guy selling Middle Eastern pastries, one of which was thin and crispy, similar to a waffle. When the ice cream vendor ran out of cups, the pastry vendor rolled up one of his pastries into a conical shape, and they combined the two flavors together. Israelis and Palestinians, if you're listening, we can get a peace deal right now with some inventive food pairings. Has anyone ever put shawarma and tahini into an everything bagel? You're welcome. See you at the Nobel Prize Awards. Last, but certainly not least, some of the weirdest accidents all come in the form of artificial sweeteners. If you're a Diet Coke addict, you know you can't live without that sugar substitute aspartame. And lucky for you, that aspartame is a result of an accident. Actually, All the sweeteners were basically the result of a guy in a lab accidentally licking his finger and finding something sweet. First, there was saccharin. Saccharin was created by accident in 1897. It was discovered at the Johns Hopkins University, my alma mater, holler back, by a guy named Constantine Falberg, who was working with the coal tar derivative benzoic sulfamide. One night, Constantine went home and took a bite of bread that was surprisingly sweet. He remembered spilling something on his hand at the lab that day, so he rushed back to the lab and literally tasted everything in his work table until he found the source of the sweetness. Because that's how science is supposed to be done. Just lick the chemicals and hope for the best. Saccharin was almost banned soon after it was discovered. The reason it stayed on the market was because Teddy Roosevelt was using the stuff as part of his weight loss regimen and said, quote, anyone who says saccharin is injurious to health is an idiot. Love that guy. Saccharin was banned in 1912 anyway, but eventually brought back because of a sugar shortage during World War I and World War II. Sweet and low, another accidental discovery. In 1937, a graduate student was working on a fever-reducing drug and accidentally tasted his finger, which was surprisingly sweet. Aspartame was another accident when a researcher licked his fingers while developing an ulcer drug. What, what is happening in these labs? Is this how the mRNA vaccine was created? I'm getting a little worried. Anyway, if you've had NutraSweet or Equal, you've had aspartame. You can also find it in Diet Coke, sugar-free gum, yogurt, ice cream, and candies. Finally, there's Splenda, whose discovery sounds more like an episode of Three's Company. In 1976, a researcher was working in a lab when his boss told him to test a compound of chlorine and sucrose. The researcher misheard his boss and thought he said taste it instead of test it. Well, he licked his fingers, didn't die, and Splenda was born. 
So friends, what have we learned? The gin and tonic should be considered a health food. Cheating on your significant other is grounds for amazing recipe concoctions. And Cornelius Vanderbilt married two of his cousins. I'm sorry, I can't get it out of my head. That and yogurt enemas. Take care, everyone. This episode of Green Eggs and Dan History Bites was produced and edited by Jordan Aaron. Executive produced by Jeff Umbro and The Podglomerate. You can find more of their podcasts at thepodglomerate.com. This episode was co-written by myself and my partner in food crime, the Paul Feinstein. If you like this show, please tell a friend, share an episode, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's really important to us, guys. Please do it. If you want more Green Eggs and Dan action follow me on instagram and twitter at standupdan also we have a youtube page where you can actually see me and my guests going through their fridges just type green eggs and dan into youtube like and subscribe i promise you will enjoy it the pod a sonic universe Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.